You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media, that's A-M-P-I-R-E. And of course, you can always read my work on ESPN.com. Throughout the week, I'll update the news from, from Commander's facility. I'm also going to have a story later this week about Vince Lombardi's coaching one season in Washington. That, of course, is where he ended his career. You probably know that, but there are a lot of people who do not, so that's why we write the story. Anyway, some interesting stuff that I, in talking to various people, Larry Brown, Mike Bragg, Chris Hamburger, Mike Bass, and some conversations that I've had throughout the years. So look for that later this week. In a minute, I'll get to my conversation with former Washington tight end Chris Cooley. We talk about the quarterbacks, and we talk about them in part because of the news from today that Carson Wentz is undergoing surgery on Monday in Los Angeles to repair his fractured finger. We don't know yet the timeline, and we're not going to probably know that tonight. There is a fear for how long it could be because when quarterbacks fracture a finger, sometimes it can be up to six weeks. We don't know how long it's going to be, so I'm not reporting how long it may be because we don't know. The, what gives them some, what gives them pause with this is, first of all, they want to hear from the surgeon. Secondly, because it's the ring finger and not a, an index finger or a middle finger, they're hoping that maybe it's not as long of a recovery period. So we will update that. We'll update this story for you throughout the week. That's where you go to ESPN.com. So, or you can go to Twitter at John underscore kind, but ESPN.com will have all the news as well. So I will get to now, by the way, Taylor Heineke will replace Wentz as a starter for however long he must, that he would miss. People keep asking about Sam Howell. There's a gap between the two, and there's a gap. When you're trying to win games, you're not going to try and see what a guy can do, not when you're two and four and the wild card is still sitting there, whether you think they can make it or not. So Taylor Heineke will be the guy because, again, there is a gap. This is not about what fans need to see. This is about players and coaches needing and wanting to win. That's why they go to Heineke. Anyway, I'll get into all of that with Chris Cooley. We'll talk about you know, about playing a guy in Howell's situation compared to a guy like Heineke, um, what he's thought of, what he thinks of Heineke, what he thinks, what he's thought of Carson Wentz this year, the offense in general. We get into some X's and O's with like hot routes and, you know, Scott Turner's offense. We talk about Ron Rivera for a minute. And if there's any hope, if he sees any hope when he watches these games, because he has been watching these games and also what he's up to these days. Anyway, that's it from me. And again, Pay attention to ESPN.com the rest of the week for updates on this whole situation. And there you go. So let's get to my conversation with former Washington tight end, Chris Cooley. 
All right, Chris, before we get to the football stuff and, you know, Heineke, Wentz, all that good stuff, let people know what you've been up to. I know you've had a lot of projects again on your property. So what what's going on with Chris Cooley right now? First of all, it's nice to actually watch football. I didn't watch football last year, and I actually missed everything this weekend because we took a trip through Yellowstone Park, which is beautiful this time of year. But, yeah, we're building uh, – we're building a new house. We live in, a, as you can see, a log cabin that is nice, but not exactly what we love. So I'm in the process of building a new house, and I'm sort of the contractor on it. I'm ab- absolutely the contractor on it. And it's a lot. It's a lot of decisions. It's a lot of process. It's a lot of stuff, and seems to be every day for me right now. But I actually really enjoy it, Kim. I know you do. This. We, I know you do. And, yeah. and, and I like... I don't know if I'm divulging anything, but like the wrestling room that you're building for your son too. Yeah, we are in the process of building what is known here as a shop, which is a, essentially a large garage. If I say, you know, we're building a shop first, sounds crazy to most of my friends back in Virginia, Maryland, but everyone here has a shop. So it's a detached large garage <laughs> essentially. But we're building an upstairs to it where it fits a mat and a half for a wrestling room. There's just certain things, you know, and I don't know if this is everywhere with kids and I would do anything for my kids. But it wrestling is is something my son's absolutely been in love with, even as a four year old last year. And it's hard to get them on a mat whenever you want to get them on a mat. Right. And you ask been a four or five year old to compete and win and he he wrestled in seven tournaments and he wanted to wrestle in more it was over he didn't understand why is wrestling over dad but you're asking them to go and and wrestling is a is not t-ball or little league baseball where everyone hits and everyone runs around the bases and they don't keep score you win or you lose and by the way he's the an incredibly sore loser, which we learned last year. We we already knew a little bit, but he does not want to lose. And so we're gonna we're gonna build a wrestling room and and then we can have his friends over and anyone over and wrestle whenever we want. And it's it's part for us too, you know, in the process of building a new house. We talked about doing sort of a gym area. And I hate having the gym in my house because then I never use it. Maybe if I have to walk about a hundred hundred feet to where I have a shower and a room to do it. It's not my app, my own home. I'll use it there. So multi, multi-functional time. There you go. How much of that competitiveness does he get from you? Were you like that? So I was absolutely like that. I hated to lose. I, <laughs> one of my favorite non-favorite moments about myself was my senior year in, in at Logan high school playing baseball. And I struck out, I think for the second time, and I played center field, and I then proceeded to slam my bat and go get my glove, and I kicked it all the way to center field, which my mom told me she would never come and watch me play again if I ever did that. I don't know how my coach let me continue to play that game. I'm shocked at that. Full tantrum. That said, we played in a co-ed softball tournament about three weeks ago, and my wife struck out, and she slammed her bat and said some profanities. So I think it comes from both sides. It usually does. Um, you're watching games again this year. Why not last year? Well, first of all, it's not 
any parent, I think, understands this. And last year, my kids were seven and four. And at this right. point, eight and five. And you do things on the weekends. Right. My daughter's in school. We try to do things on the weekends. Uh, Sunday's a great day to go skiing or in the fall to take kids fishing or camping. And so last year, we were busy. It really had to do more with having young kids around. And for some reason, over the last couple Sundays, we've we had a birthday party at a friend's house where football was on all day. So the kids had their birthday party and and we watched a couple games of football and we were at a cabin the week before camping and we had direct TV. So we watched football on Sunday, but it's, it's really actually enjoyable. I think I've talked about this with you before, yeah. but in calling the Washington games and playing, you never really see games. Right. And so it's fun to, to get a chance to watch some other games. I've watched you know, three of the commanders games live which hasn't been very much fun. And <laughs> why I'm not watching like the Bills play or one of the better games of the week, but I seem to trend, tend to watch to watch Washington. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just nice to to really have just a, a fan's interest in in what's going on in the NFL without anything pressing. Right, and I know you go on Kevin Sheehan's show and talk about you know, the commanders, obviously. And so I do want to ask about that. And as we record this, we don't have an update yet on Carson Wentz's finger, how much time he'll miss. We'll find this is Monday morning. We'll find that out probably Monday night, what's going on there. But I do want to ask, start there. What have been your impressions of Wentz thus far? The first impression is that without immediate answers, I don't think he's comfortable and in, in essentially solving the problem or finding solutions or getting through progressions. It, it's not been great as far as time in the pocket for Wentz either. And maybe some of that's on Wentz. Maybe some of that's online play calling, but Wentz has really struggled in my opinion. Uh, one getting the ball to his first read in, in with some anticipation. I think he needs to see his first read open more times than you'd like it to see it open instead of just letting the ball go. So a lot of times it's an extra hitch and it's padding the ball a little bit too long. And then two, because he's staying on that too long, I don't think he gets to two and three quick enough. And so he's struggling to get across the board through progressions. It's not that he hasn't done it. He's, he's done it. He's just not doing it on a regular basis. And, and, and that's, he's struggling a lot with that. And, then two, he's been really inaccurate. And I think even more so watching this last week's game and not watching it, because I've watched them all on the all 22 and oh. on film. And some of that you don't entirely see the McKissick four yards downfield and the velocity on some of the balls that he's right. throwing. Like I, I think the t lack of touch to underneath throws with the inaccuracy makes them really, really tough to haul in. You know, when you get that ball coming 60 miles an hour at your knee behind you, you, you can get your hand on it and anyone can say, man, that's a, that's a ball that could be caught. It's just not a ball that gets caught often. Is that, for some of that stuff, is that trust, familiarity with offense, or do you think it's just him? Well, I think a big part of the inaccuracy right now is him. I'm not sure exactly what he's got to go through to fix that. I, I do think – being uncomfortable in the pocket is not aiding him at all in right. 
able to make some of those throws as far as just relax and just get it to your guy. You know, the other thing you see with Carson and I, I was, I was a huge Carson Wentz fan in Philadelphia and I'm, I, I still like Carson Wentz. I, I do. I enjoy watching him play, but he was capable of moving in the pocket and making so many big plays off schedule and yeah. off script in, in comparison almost to, to what Josh Allen does in yeah. Buffalo for a little bit in, in Philadelphia. And I mean, any, anyone that watched him play with, for the Eagles, even in DC was going, wow, this, this guy is a huge problem. And so because he was able to evade and get out of the pocket and make some of those big throws, I think maybe some of the issues were not seen with Carson Wentz. And right now he's not capable of, of moving and running and scrambling the way he was three years ago before the, some of the injury stuff. He's just not that guy. And I've also thought about that a lot with myself and watching not just Carson, but guys as they've, evolved and changed in their careers you don't always recognize that in yourself it's tough to recognize your brain's telling you this this is me this is the play I make I know I can make this play and I go back to the year after my knee surgery thinking I was hauling ass or thinking I was making quick cuts and bursting out of things and then you watch it on film and even and even then it's still you so you kind of give yourself the benefit of the doubt but you don't have that full realization that I'm not that fast uh, or I'm not that quick because you used to be in your mind sees it that way. And I think that probably some of Carson's problem is, is maybe that in a little bit that when he starts to move right or left or like there was a, for instance, he was run down in the Tennessee game and I'm terrible with names and I should be better, but 98 is a, a stud. I, I get it. Oh. Yeah. Simmons is a stud. But three years ago, Carson Wentz would outrun Simmons to the sideline, and and Simmons hawked Carson Wentz down really from from behind. And you look at that and say, well, <laughs> "I'm sure he's saying, did he seriously just get Wrong. that guy really fast?" I guess, but it's it's not. It's that he's not as fast. So hey, I, I, go ahead, Cam. No, no, I, mean, I was going to ask you about that about the limit limitations. Like to me, his mo- immobility has limited the offense, given the problems in protection. And that's where, like, when you look at a guy like Heineke. Could he give a jump start just because of that? Yeah, I think the answer, and I think you're going to see it this week, is yes. And I don't want to sit here and, and say Heineke is a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. Right. I think that Carson Wentz, even right now, does have more upside. And mm-hmm. and a lot of that is, does Carson Wentz continue to work and fit in with the team the way he's supposed to and not – some of the things that happened in Philadelphia. And I mean, take out all the extracurriculars, which is not really fair. Uh, I think Carson does still have more upside. And I think he has the ability to evolve and a a bigger arm and can make some different throws. But right now, what Washington really needs is to get the ball in the hands of some of these receivers earlier so they can make plays. And and that's what Heineke is going to be able to do a little bit. And then Heineke can absolutely evade and move to some of the pressures that they're going to have. I don't, it's not like Steve Young's coming in for Joe Montana here. Right. Like, like just so we're, we're clear on it. Yeah. But it, it, to some extent, it might be more like Todd Collins is coming in for Jason Campbell. Hmm. I don't know if that – it doesn't make them a, a go out and win every game team and, and now you're a playoff team. And it just – I think it gives them 
you know, an early boost to what they can do. And also Heineke is going to be very familiar with this offense. And it was Wentz's first offense that was not a Andy Reid type offense in his career. So he had to learn a lot as well. And there's a huge learning curve. I've seen that. I had a lot of different quarterbacks and I saw right. with all of them. And it's at least a, a better part of a season before most of the guys I was around really started to feel comfortable with their anticipation of the offense. So, yeah, I think Heineke will probably come in and, and give a little boost. I would, I would bet that, but you're also saying, is he going to throw more for more than 90 yards against the bears? That That's, I mean, Carson had a couple bad outings. Yeah. I don't, I don't see them going away from Carson Wentz if he's healthy or if there's a chance for Carson to play, I think they'll stick with Carson. I think if they can fix the finger, tape it, you know, there's so many different ways you can break your finger, have some of those injuries. I remember I shattered my finger and it was the year I hurt my knee or my knee was bad. And we used the, the finger and I had surgery as a real excuse to essentially go on the, uh, IR for the end of the year, but I was really told when they put all the screws in my finger, it was potentially one game to miss. Oh, okay. So and, it, it how how they fix it and what is I don't I don't know I haven't yeah we don't know yet a, a doctor but sometimes fingers are not six week injuries right and we don't know yet I know there was a fear of that but until we know for sure we just I'm not I don't know. But I do, you know, if Heineke has to go in, then I wanted to address him. Um, and what have you thought of him as a passer? I mean, the way they considered him always was high-end backup, low-end starter. What have you thought of him in the past? I would say high-end backup, low-end starter. And in that, you get a guy that can give you a boost, who knows the offense, who knows the system. But I don't think – when you say low-end starter, in at any point, you're talking about a guy that you can survive a season with. Right. You're not talking about a guy that's going to lead you to a championship in most instances. So I think survive a season with Heineke is great. And more so, I mean, in that almost like the Todd Collins thing, you have a chance to make a run late and your starter goes down. He's going to give you a chance to win every game that you're in. He's not going to go win games for you more times than not. He's going to let you survive and have a chance to, to win some ball games, and I think that's really what Heineke provides. You know, more times than not, week in week out, they'll give you a chance to, to win a ball game. The other thing that I, I would bet you is is going to be nice for you know Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Gibson and all. When the guy that really has a feel for the system comes in, you operate better, and they're going to see that. You're going to see a change in in. Touches for more of the guys and speed of the offense. It, it would be my guess. Right. And the other thing is they did, they, and this, I get this a lot and I have my own thoughts. And I, if, if, if there's a, if Wentz can't play, you put in Heineke, he gives you the best chance to win right now. They did draft a rookie in Sam Howell. And there are a lot of Howell, Howellians out there who want him to play. If you're a veteran and you see like, you know, because I know fans think, oh, they're two and four. They're not going anywhere. Coaches and players don't, feel like that at this point right they're not going to say oh the season's over because we struggled early but what so what would be the danger of putting in a guy like Colin I know you're not familiar with them and, and all that but the danger of putting in a guy fifth round pick hasn't played etc or what would the, you think of that the, well first of all it's it's hard to 
really say this, but in the, uh, it's not hard to say this, um, point blank, we're all independent contractors and having a better year helps us individually. There's no end of the year at two and four. Nobody, if you're going to be a free agent or you're whatever, you're not going to decrease your own value because you're tired of a season at two and four. Right. You go play. Everyone's out to play for themselves. It's a lot of fun and it's exciting to win as a team. And for me, especially you get into year three, four, five, and you really start to develop a love of that team, that organization, the fans that surround that team. And there's more of a commitment to winning for your team, but it's not high school football or to some extent, not even college football where it's dire. You feel that dire need to win week in week out. And I'd be lying if I, told you there were games that I played really well and we lost that I wasn't was pleased with myself but you know that there's I still won some of those games personally right well because like, we and I think I had 10 or 11 catches and 100 yards and a touch like go home and go let's score a touchdown on Lambeau Field and had 100 yards receiving and yeah we I would like to have won too but in the same hand, there were games that we won that I didn't play well, and I was frustrated. So that didn't happen in high school. If you won and you were – that was it. So I don't think that you get to that point. Uh, there's a ton of pressure from the, from the outside for a lot of these players, not just with Ron and potentially what would happen with Ron uh, and with what's going on with the owner. And everyone feels that. Uh, it would be hard not to feel that, but you still, you go in, you show up and the day of work starts and you're involved in, in that. And for the coaches as well, right now, you're not just going to put in Howell to, to develop a guy to see because maybe he's there next year. I think they need to win games. I I think that having a four win season really puts the head coach's job in jeopardy. I I don't have any clue what's going on with the inner workings of that, but, a third year of not winning a lot of football games and, and not having your guy as a quarterback and not figuring out some of the things you need to figure out is not really good for head coach. No. Now that said, you get to you get to week twelve. I think they'd be okay to see where Al was if they knew they're out of the playoffs. I, I think at that point you're not diminishing other guys' seasons and giving other you're not taking opportunities from from a lot of your team. And you're seeing what a quarterback could potentially be in the future. But I, I mean, honestly, the other thing you look at, and I know this is a big class of quarterbacks coming out, and potentially this is a year that they, at the end of the year, that they draft one with Carson on a one year deal. But you do, to some extent, need to figure out if Carson Wentz can figure it out. Right. But at one point, he was one of the top 15, top 10 quarterbacks in the league. It's a brief, but is that guy still there somewhere? And can he evolve? to be a little bit different than he was, but still that guy. That's yeah. something to look at. The, the problem with that is it's so funny on a one-year deal. If he does become that, then what do you pay him? Well, yeah. he actually has – he does have a couple more years. It's just that there's no guaranteed money. Right. So they can move on after this year. So with no cap penalty, they can move on. Um, so there – you know, he is signed, but it's a – but if you don't – if it doesn't go well and, and a new staff comes in, they're cutting him without any problem. I understand. But if Carson Wentz really well, he's going to want a new deal. 
if he showed at the end of the year, if he gets really hot and they do well, I could see them doing something. Um, but you're right. I think the hard part, too, with Howell is if he gets to week 12 and they put him out, out there and that's fine, it probably could be a new staff coming in and you pro- you may have a top 10 pick and so you're going to go get another quarterback anyway. So, you know, unless he is somehow lights out. But The um, other thing, Al, Kime, is you – it's not really fair to put a later round draft pick quarterback in if he's not ready to go in. It's not right. fair to him, right. you know. And, and have a better. And feel I don't know if he is or isn't. Yeah, they'll they'll they should have a better feel for could he really execute a game plan, and can he operate, or is he going to end his career essentially in the first year? And, be- and I don't know. I don't know where he's at with that, and that's something we'll find out a little bit more this week. Um, also, when you look at this offense, and, and I talked about this with you a little bit on the phone, but there was a play against the Bears, and it's just one of those plays where I'm like, I don't understand why somebody can't attack this area when and it was the blitz. It was that first blitz. It was like a third and six or seven. Essentially, there's three. it's a three-receiver route, and there's three defensive backs, but they're all behind the sticks. So the blitz comes, and the middle of the field is wide open, and you have McLaurin and, and Samuel in the stack. And nobody's attacking the middle. Like nothing is broken off to account for a blitz coming, et cetera. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't get, and it's something I want to find out, ask more about this week. And I've been harping on this because the middle of the field is wide open. It's an easy first down if somebody just breaks off their route, if they have the freedom to break off that route. So do you remember that play? And what, you know, why do some offenses use hots and some not? Well, some offenses use hots because they don't have built-in answers for imminent pressure, pressure that they can't block. And I think that particular play earlier in the game where Smith comes through is is a zero blitz. It's all-out blitz, which means they're bringing one more than you can protect with because you can't protect with the quarterback. And Washington's in a max-protect situation where they – where they struggle on this and where they're struggling with a lot of these is when you're in that max pressure situation, you can't give up a or B gap pressure. You can't give up immediate interior pressure. You're asking your quarterback to potentially drift right or left from one side or the other, where he knows he's not protected to get a ball out. You know, you want that pressure to come from the edge rusher. And then you see a quarterback start to move. If if it's off his left edge, he'll start to drift, right, drift, right, drift, make the throw. He's not able to do that because they, can't pass off the interior stunt and blitz and between I think it's between the center and guard right yeah. where Smith comes, yeah. he essentially goes unblocked and you really they've struggled all year to pass off some of those blitzes and stunts and to communicate as an offensive line and there's a lot of different ways offensive lines do this um, there's a lot of different calls that are made but what right now Washington's struggling with it they're sticking on their guy too long you know and a guard's got a detackle and and maybe they man it up and maybe it was a back and that missed Roquan Smith or, you know, maybe there's some other error, but there's got to, they have to stop having some of these errors. You know, they, if they want to give Carson Wentz a chance, you, you can't have immediate A or B gap pressure. That's, that's a dead play. As far as the hots go, I'm, you, like I said, a lot of offenses will have built in hots. Uh, I even, like, I remember, a meeting with Kyle Shanahan or a couple where we had, there's a certain play that we used to come back as a built-in hot. I mean, that's an 18 yard comeback, but it's, it's like 
lead him downhill to the sideline. And if it's incomplete, you survive a bad play. If that's the only answer we have on this, that's the only answer. But it's built in that they're throwing that. I'm not exactly sure how that's functioning for Washington. It doesn't seem like they have any red seven hot routes. Uh, you know, it's it's tough. But to that particular play, you know they are bringing one more than you can right. protect. So you are in a you are in a hot situation. You you have a free rusher because you cannot block. You know, eight with seven. It's just not going to happen and and even if you let your back get out on like they'll peel their pressures if you're back in tight end re- release they're manned up to bring to see that pressure if if they want to come off of it but uh i mean if your quarterback really sees it and there were guys that would do this i mean i remember brunel all the time we'd get to the line or close to the line he'd say hey if it's all out here whatever like just look at me right just fine and or hey, like if you got Samuel in the slot, I would literally yell red seven at him. <laughs> like it's a joke from winning crashers, but literally, yo, 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 yo. <laughs> be quick, like, be quick on this. Because really, the amount of time it takes a receiver to run a 10-yard a out route with the quarterback throwing it right before he comes out of that break is is usually enough time to get the ball out. I mean, that's one second. If he can take that ball, hold it just really rock hitch rock drift a little it, the ball could come out so to throw something like that do you think that's as much on Wentz maybe getting used to these receivers and them getting comfortable or is that as much on and it may and again this is this may require more inside information but like is that as much as a built-in function of the offense well i think that it's that per play in particular is is probably more of a function of the protection breaking down immediately because Rokon Smith is, is, is going to be one of like the way we always did this too, is when you had these zero pressures is you had a list of numbers that are must block numbers. And then we always had a list of numbers. Your offensive line has a list of numbers like 98, 93, 95, 91, 52. Those are the lists. We're always going to take care of those guys first. And then the backs would re- be responsible for, you know, 37, 48. And the, you kind of eliminate through a process pre-game or through practice of, of who, what potentials you have as far as blocking guys. Roquan Smith is a must block there. Yeah. And so they miss somewhere up front. And it's hard to say always, you know, was the line in a full side right? and your backside guard didn't slide? Or are they in a dual situation where they're going to post and then turn and pass it off? Are they in a full man situation? And that makes it tough with some of that stuff. I don't, I don't know. And it's, it's also a game, I, like I said, I was out of town and I've been watching the All-22. It's also tough to tell when you're watching a live game on television where exactly that broke down and missed. Right, 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 right. And, you know, and, and you always hear about, like, providing answers for the quarterback. How were some of the other coaches, I think you brought up Jim Zorn with some answer, or answers or non-answers um, for quarterbacks? Well, I, I I did bring up some of the blitz meetings with Zorn, and I think it was interesting because – and I don't want to really – there were some confusion moments in meetings with protections and how it was handled, and I think – the other thing I don't want to do is because Joe Bugle was the offensive line coach at that time. And Bugle's 
really did know how to pick up a lot of the things. And Big's answer in a lot of the situation was a lot with Joe Gibbs, where we're going to max protect. And Zorn didn't want to max protect in a lot of those deals. And so I think figuring out how to pick some of the stuff up was maybe not agreed completely upon or was confusion between Bukes had one answer and, and was going to coach it one way, but Zorn changed it. It just, if everybody's not on the same page and there's not resolution to what we're going to do with pressure, then you're in trouble. And you have to practice a lot of these pressures and you have to practice a lot of these looks week in and week out and practice. And, t- and they do, I'm sure they have a blitz pickup period and right. work on a lot of that stuff. The, the other thing that I always you know, Mike did this and I thought this was really good. And a couple coaches I've been around did some of these things where you got, a, you know, a four minutes at the end of practice with exotic pressures that you hadn't seen. Or your defense is going to bring whatever pressures they're going to bring that week. And we're going to use our protection to pick up their pressures. Obviously, we didn't game plan for our own defense. So now you have their all outs versus your protections and how you're going to handle it. And so you really have to communicate because you can watch as much film as you want. Everyone's going to change their pressures the next week. Last thing then, with when you're looking at, again, you're from coming from the outside, but when you look at a situation, you've been in situations where you've won, you've been in where they've lost, and you start tough starts, better starts, et cetera. What kind of things do you look for to see, like, could a team get out of this? And when you look at these guys, you're like, because, again, there have been a couple of years, the last couple of years, they've looked terrible, and then suddenly they play better. So what little things do you see to say, well, they could do this because of that? Or is there is there hope here or is there not hope? Well, there's there's always hope. And there were teams that I was on that probably didn't have as much hope as we would have thought as a team. But you don't necessarily always see that. I don't think they look at themselves as a bad football team. They played a couple games that would be, in my opinion, pretty bad football, including that Chicago which was really not good football. So that's one of those ones. (laughs) Yeah, there's hope. And it's funny because there's a couple different scenarios. Like Joe Gibbs would sit down and say, okay, here's what we have coming up. And at least the next four games, it wasn't always just win a game. It's, it's, it's next game. It was okay. If we can beat, you know, who, like if we could beat Chicago this week, then we have Dallas coming next week. That's a game that we could win. And we find a way to get back to, you know, three and four or four and four. And then this is exactly where we would be at four and four in our conference, in our division. And he would lay it out. And I, I think it, it's hard not to do that as a coach because that is one thing that you could say one game at a time as much as you want. The players know exactly where they stand and exactly what it is. There's that, but then there's also the Mike Shanahan. We're going to evaluate everybody at three and six, and right. and then you make a run, and it seemed like they were – I don't think Mike was quitting on a year when he said that. I still don't believe that he was quitting on a year. I, I think he probably misspoke just a little bit. But there's always hope for that. I think it's a little bit dimmer <laughs> when you look at the division. Yeah. Like Philly's definitely. unbelievable right now. Dallas is a really good ball club and that you know, they they played tough with Philly for a while. And New York's all of a sudden coming on and yeah. New York's put some things and you're looking around going, Okay, well where are we fitting into this? But right now, kind of with an extra game and an extra playoff team, 
two and four isn't the exact same two and four as it was five years ago or four years ago. Right. It's find a way to to get back to four and four and four, four and five. And let's we got to grow as a team and we'll we'll make a run. But we got to win a couple games right now. Like you got to find a way to win a couple games right now. And they have a schedule that lends to winning some games here in the next stretch. So done is not really where you'd go with it. Is Rivera's messaging confusing to you at times? Well, I don't I'm I'm not in it the way you're in it. And so I I don't sit and see it's the funny thing when you're not that close to a team is you hear what's been the problem quarterback. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't I would not say that Rivera's strong suit is messaging. He's not a he's not a wordsmith up there. And I don't think he always understands. Like, I think he knows a lot of the times exactly what he's saying and why he's saying it. But I don't think he knows that nobody else hears it that way. Right. In in a lot of ways, it's it's a lot like my wife and I talking about uh, what we're doing as far as building the new house. And I say fashions. She says, what? Um, That's actually not true. She knows what fashion is. But a lot of times we're saying the same thing or we're agreeing on something, but we don't know how to. You know, it's a different language to some extent. I think with Ron, in a lot of cases, he doesn't hear how it's perceived in another way, maybe. So, yeah, confusing would be a good answer for that. I I think his intentions are are probably, I I believe his intentions for his team are are really good. And and it seems like the guys do want to play for Ron. I also... I also see a guy that gets frustrated a lot with the media when maybe he doesn't need to get this. Like, I think he has different expectations. Like the media is out to get him sometimes. You're like, eh. I mean, yeah. they're just job asking the questions that they're supposed to ask. I mean, yeah. it, it, move. And Scott Turner, any thoughts? I think Scott's struggling right now. I, I've, I'm not exactly sure though. When you think about it, is he struggling to some extent with quarterback? and what Carson Wentz can handle on his plate is he's struggling with some creativity. He's really, they've really been limited as far as what they're doing offensively, especially in some of the third down passing situations. Um, a couple weeks ago against Philly with what they wanted to do to handle what was really a three, three defense that, you know, it looks like a three, four front, but it's just one backer and they didn't run the ball very much, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of, of basic crossing concepts and shallow cross concepts and mesh concepts. And a lot of it's hinging on, you know, some underneath guys getting open and everything for right now. When, when teams are playing them, there's, it's just too easy to pass off most of those concepts when that's what they're running. And that's the consistent of what they're running. There's an answer and the defense has an answer and you got to make it hard and you got to make it different, different as a coordinator. And where I know it can be different is in that first game, you could tell that Turner spent some time in the offseason putting some things together. Like right. They came out first game against Jacksonville, and they had seven or eight unique things that yeah. Turner hadn't really done and that you hadn't seen much of. And I'm surprised that he hasn't gone back to some of those things. Like a, a great example, early in the Jacksonville game, they ran a diamond set to Carson Wentz's left. And they ran a couple crossers, and on the outside, Samuel runs a whip back under all of it. And it's—I haven't seen a diamond look since that week. No. I don't think I—I don't, I, I think that they haven't ran any diamond set since that week. So you—you got to be better formationally to challenge defenses. 
especially when you're running the same type of plays and the same type of stuff. And I just don't think there's enough variation with personnel group and formation to tell a defense we're, we're doing something different or expect something different. Sure. That was also interesting. Like we had Joe Gibbs had the most limited playbook of all time, but it looked different every week. Chris, you're, I got to get going. You're the best. I'm going to cut off on Zoom. So I appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle. Always a pleasure, buddy. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Chris for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I will be back on Thursday talking to ESPN Packers reporter Rob Demofsky. Yes, there's a game on Sunday, and yes, it still matters. So please tune in. Do me a favor and do that for your boy. I will talk to you next time.